0: G'day, my name's Martin Murray and you're listening to the In The Paddock podcast, where we talk all things farming. G'day and welcome to today's podcast. Today we're back doing one of our longer form episodes where we interview John Farger the co-founder and chief revenue officer of AgriWeb. We talk about a range of topics, including how farmers can use technology to greater improve their productivity along with their profitability, which at the same time also improves their sustainability and helps to tell a story that'll allow Australian meat to keep earning record prices at home and abroad, boosting farm incomes, and helping to keep the Australian meat industry going strong into the future. It's a really interesting chat, and I really hope you take something out of it. I know I did. All throughout the podcast, I was thinking of ways that I could use this software to improve my own farming systems, and we even touch on some of those examples during the episode. So without further ado. Here's today's show. Today I'm here with uh, John, co-founder of AgriWeb, and um, it's good to have you here, John.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Martin. Very excited to be uh, to be a part of it.
0: Uh, it's good. Glad we could have you. So, you just start by, I guess, giving you a bit of a background on yourself and um, a bit of a background on
1: AgriWeb. Yeah, for sure. So, so basically, fifth generation livestock producer or sheep, sheep and cattle uh, producer on a on a pastoral station out in northern South Australia. So grew up there, um, you know, spent a lot of time looking at at what we were doing as a family business, um, you know, typical sort of family generational business and looking at what, you know, my father and grandfather and uncles and aunties, et cetera, were doing in in neighbouring properties. Um, And so, you know, always been very passionate about livestock uh, agriculture in particular, but also driving innovation and and um, you know, I guess coming from a from a spirited family of innovation, trying to trying to diversify and do things differently, you know, around drought resilience and and all the rest of it that goes with with farming as we know it. But particularly on the on the technology side, you know, I was really looking at um, how we could do things better. And you know, from a from a personal perspective, our station is about four hundred thousand acres, so it's you know two hours drive to get around and check waters, or a couple of hours in the aeroplane type of thing. So I was like surely there's remote water monitoring solutions from a, from a data management and decision-making perspective. I was like, look, you know, we're running a business in a pe- pencil and paper notebook and a diary, and surely there's, there's some better solutions out there to help with this. So, you know, I went on, a, went on a bit of a research project looking for them. We actually bought a piece of software, She's um, showing my age, but probably um, 20 years ago. And uh, and it and it's, it's stuck in the top drawer. I think it was a floppy disk and it, it literally never came out of the top drawer. So that was our forte in my earliest days into software in, in agriculture. And the reason for this was there were very limited offerings and the offerings that were available were legacy, they were desktop. You'd have to get home at the end of a long day and, and have to enter in all this information. And, and even if you did manage to do that, get the information into, into some form of um, software product, it just became a data graveyard. You, you couldn't actually go and make decisions with it. So I guess from an early age, that was, um, that was my experience in thinking there's got to be a better way. And look, I think the other piece was, you know, we'd, we'd truck cattle off and they'd go down the driveway and, you know, you'd, you'd ship them off five, six hundred k's to a, to a sale yard and you'd be a price taker. You'd have no idea what you're going to get. You couldn't bring them home. And that was kind of it. You think, look, we put all these blood, sweat and tears into all of this. And, and then you have no certainty around where your product's going, um, really no certainty around the price for that. So I guess all of these factors for me was like, look, there's just got to be an opportunity here to shake things up. There's got to be an opportunity to, to innovate, to, to drive, um, you know, I, I guess, livestock production into, into a new era. And, and, you know, you look at agriculture and agriculture is the least digitized industry in the world. And livestock agriculture is the least digitised, the least digitised. Um, so that was that was kind of my raw experience growing up, and and that kind of gave me the passion to to go and start AgriWeb with with another couple of guys. So if you if you were to sum up, I guess what is AgriWeb? What, what's its
0: core function, and um, like what are the main benefits that are, that a grower get out of it day to day? And um, yeah, I guess in in broad terms, what services does it offer?
1: Yeah, great, great, great start. So, you know, Agribiz is is a livestock um, business management platform, right? So so we're a software company. We're specifically focused on livestock or the red meat industry. Um, And I guess going from a bit of that background, what we're out to solve for is really simplifying the farmer's day-to-day job and day-to-day business. So, you know, I talked a little bit about a farmer running their business Um, in a pencil and paper notebook you know that's the reality it's not just the reality in my patch or across australia that's what we see you know around 95 percent of the the farming population still runs their business in a pencil paper notebook or at least that's what they did when we started seven or eight years ago there is a a fair bit of digitization that's happened since then so ultimately what we're doing is is people now we're in, in the age where people are carrying a smartphone around in their in their top pocket right um and so the, the whole um, the whole purpose and value creation of this is forget the notebook that's gonna that's gonna go through the washing machine or, or go in the in the sheep trough right let's enter everything you would want to record across your entire business in your smartphone um, in the AgriWeb app and you know I mentioned that we we specifically focus on the livestock industry but we take a very holistic approach across what we call sort of a mixed farming operation. Right, so what you can then record within AgriWeb is, is, you know, it's all based around the farm map, very visual, very simple. Again, when we built this, it was around how do farmers think about their business, right? You go into the kitchen, you go into the workshop, there's a farm map, often there's magnets on a whiteboard that's, that's showing mob movements across paddocks and pastures. So that's what we replicated from a digital format, right? Have that farm map, make it very visual, make it very intuitive so that farmers go, I get this, Um, They don't have to put up a barrier of being adverse to technology and, and simplifying it. So how you want to, you want to move that group of animals from one paddock to another, it's just drag and drop. It's really simple, really visual. Um, And have the power to capture everything, right? So everything across that livestock business, everything across that, that mixed farming business gets all um, captured in that mobile app. And, and then it's not just about record keeping, it's then around how we're using that to drive data-driven decisions, how we're using that to move that business forward around increasing productivity, sustainability, and profitability. Um, the beauty is you go about doing, your, doing your, your, your day job, entering all this information, and then you have the power at the fingertips to actually make data-driven and informed decisions to move that business forward. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about you know when we started. We started about eight years ago um, I spent the first good couple of years driving down driveways, uh, working with, with farmers across the kitchen table, getting a lot of feedback. And that um, ethos has, has remained with us uh, as we've grown. You know, our, our core value at Agrib, at Agrib is living for the farmer and making sure we're, we're really uh, basing everything we do off that feedback. You know, so all of our development, um, software development is in-house. We don't offshore any of that. Uh, And we make sure that our team stays connected to the community and connected to our customers as as much as we can. Um, And, you know, now we're, we we started the business here in Australia. Um, We now have offices in, we had offices still in Sydney, but offices in London and the UK and in Denver in the US, which I I happen to be calling in from at the moment. I'm doing a stint over here in the US for a few months. Um, We have about 12,000 farmers that use our product every day, about 22 million animals on the platform I think we service customers in about 13 or 14 geographies. Um, so I guess it was, it's, you know, from that very first day of driving down driveways and my personal experience in, in, in taking that theory and that ethos to um, to everywhere we go is, has really been a, a core function of, of how we've grown the business.
0: Yeah. And I look like, um, just a bit on myself. i uh, on top of having a, a day job also got a, a mixed farming enterprise. It's, you know, comparatively small, but, uh, last year we were running probably about 200 trade heifers at a time. Um, on, and that's just something that we pivot to if, you know, if we see an opportunity there, otherwise we're primarily cropping. And I mean, I personally run, run most of the farm from just an Excel spreadsheet and with cropping, that's, that's fine. Cause your crops don't move. They're, they're in the one paddock. They're always treated in that one paddock and, at the end of the season, I know how much grain's come out of that paddock and I can say, you know, we've, um, we've made X dollars per hectare here. But once we pivoted into, um, into those, those trade cattle last year, it got very murky. You've got mobs coming in, mobs going out, and you, you're flat out working out what, what you've made per animal, let alone what you've made per, uh, you know, per hectare. And how much value you're getting out of your, your paddocks so at the end of the season? I end up with a rough idea because you know X money's gone in, X money's gone out, um, but not to the same detail um, that we could tell with our cropping paddocks from Excel and just from looking online at uh, what AgriWeb has to offer. It certainly looks like you can you can track all that data and really benchmark yourself and work out what's performing where.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I should get you on the sales team. Then, by the sounds of that, in in terms of uh, um, your understanding, but but you're bang on there. I mean, you look at these two two industries, and and the cropping side has um, has had a lot more investment over the decades. um, You know, largely driven by you know the large hardware, John Deere, green or red um, manufacturers of the world that have driven a lot of investment and technology. Um, into the industry together with um, you know, seeds and genetics and fertilizer companies, because we're dealing with you know, enormous amounts of inputs and outputs, and it's all in a contained kind of um, fenced off area, as you suggested, right? It's, it's sort of input, output, you know, and we can measure things quite accurately on that. Um, and you know, if you go back and look at the last sort of 30 years in, in cropping as a whole, you know, there's, there's, they've increased something like 70% in productivity, right? So really enormous, enormous gains. Um, and the same can't be said for the livestock industry, right? We, we haven't seen, not only have we not seen the investment and energy put into it, but we haven't seen anywhere near the sorts of impactful changes um, and productivity gains. um And there's a huge opportunity for that. Now, the complexities that you've just raised is is key to that. Animals are moving, they're changing, they're all different. You know, there's not one the same. Um, You've got, you know, multiple conditions, whether it be weather or commodities, um, plus these moving targets makes it very difficult. Um, And I guess that's why we focused on, on, you know, making sure that A, it was very simple to use, um, but also you're going to get some very powerful decisions uh, off the other side of that. And when we started, um, it sounds like, you know, that, that you're running a trading operation. You, you're looking at running them at an individual level. Is that, is that right, Martin? You track yeah, that, that's, at an individual level?
0: Yeah, that, that's what we were. Uh, well, we're a bit of both. Um, so just just yeah. a quick rundown on the property. So you got the background. We're about 70% arable and uh, 30% just native pasture, um, a lot of cooler tie grass, a lot of basalt rocks. So it's it's not something you could even improve if you wanted to. Um, and on that, we we do have about you know thirty breeders, um, and we've also currently running about thirty trade steers. But uh, yeah, it's uh, on the arable country. It's something that we can pivot into if we've if we see the opportunity there for a season. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, when we started, um, you know, when we, when we built, I guess the first version of our, of our software, it was a mob based um, herd based solution, right? So you would manage your animals at a, at a mob level, at a group level, you'd be putting average weights in, you know, treatment across the group, um, you know, nutrition feed, et cetera. And you'd be moving them, rotating them as a group. Now the bulk of the market, is still managing at that group or herd level, particularly when you think of it from a pastoral perspective of when they're out in the paddock, right? People just think about them as a mob. The reality is the big benefits that we could get and the huge impacts we can have from a, from an industry perspective. And in terms of making those macro gains, as we just referred to in the cropping side, that's going to come down to individual animal management. Now, you know, a, a, there's not a huge percentage of the market that's managing individual, it, it, is, it is gaining traction. Um, obviously in Australia, the NLI system requires, you know, all, all cattle to have a, a NLIS EID tag, uh, but that doesn't mean you need to manage your, your, your herd and individual performance perspective. We also know in, a, um, in Victoria, that it's, it's compulsory for sheep to have EID. So there's definitely a direction from a compliance perspective, And, you know, the industry sometimes sees this as a bit of a stick to say, oh, well, you know, we have to invest in tags and we have to do this because we're told to rather than flipping the conversation to be actually this is this is the opportunity, right? This is the opportunity to manage your business, your herd, your flock um, in a way that you can determine very simply now what are the the underperformers and what are the overperformers or the performance that you're looking for. So, you know, it's around looking back and setting your goals. You know, if you're in a trading operation, right, it's all about getting weight on as quickly as possible and finding the best market for that and optimising your grass and your, and your pasture rotations, right? Now, in all of that, you want to be making decisions around, well, where am I buying these animals from and, and are, are where I'm getting them from performing better or worse compared to their cohorts? Now, that's just one example of a goal you could set and a decision you could make off that. And it, we're talking pretty simple stuff, right? Bring your animals in, tag they're already tagged individually, record some data against them, which, which you can now in AgriWeb, it, it is all full individual. Um, we Bluetooth directly into all of the traditional hardware that you would see, Gallagher, TrueTest, et cetera. And now you've got decisions in the palm of your hand, crush side, right? So now you can be making those decisions around performance via weight, what's putting on weight, um, weight for age, and compare that really simply against vendors as well. So you can sit back and you can say, right, well, which um, which vendors actually delivering a better line of cattle for me? And you can do this in a click of a button, right? So, so we're not talking about really difficult processes to go through to make really meaningful decisions. Because at the end of the day, in, in your business, you get a couple of hundred animals at any point in time, and you wanna maximize the grass you've got the weight you can put on the dollars you can get out the other end um, and so you know if you can if you can go and increase that by 10 20 30 40% based off getting better animals in we're talking serious serious dollars particularly with the commodity prices the way they are you know these these very very valuable assets running around out there on the grass and what are we doing to protect that asset right that that's what it gets down to as well is we've got to get out of the mindset of we're farming because we've always been farming. We've got to get in the mindset of we're running a business. And actually, there's an enormous amount of capital and risk tied up here. Agricultural land's worth a fortune, depending on how leveraged people are. And, you know, the commodity, the, the the animal is worth a fortune. What are we doing to protect that asset? Um, and people are not, not thinking like that, right? They're just thinking about it as a cow runs off a truck. And let's hope we get some weight on it before I put it back on a truck.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting, and I mean, I I guess um, like I, I'm a younger person. I, I'm 28, I think. Yeah, 28. Um, and you know, I've come from a background in in agronomy and broadacre cropping and that sort of thing. And so the, the way that I've you know moved into farming myself is much as you described, looking at the paddock and going, the crop we're growing is the grass or or the the forage, uh, and the cattle are the headers. Now at the same st- time, I don't want a header that's going to throw half the crop out the back, and so that's mm. you know <laughs> if you if you you know farming wheat, you don't want to see half your grain sitting on the ground, and you don't want it you know you want cattle that are converting feed. And I tend to find that that most of the um, people that I talk to do have that sort of mindset, but I'm traditionally talking to a younger cohort. Do you see a bit of a generational change or? Um, or yeah, what, what do you see as the uh, as the things that are holding back that uptake and that that drive?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the generational thing is is real, um, and we're seeing a big shift in that. Uh, and and you know, I think the exciting thing around that is people, uh, the next generation coming through, want to get back into agriculture. Um, they may or may not have gone and experienced other professions or other industries or had other experiences. And they've gone, you know what, I still, I still love agriculture. I want to go back home or even folk that are from, from the city or, or have never been um, you know, have the, have the privilege ultimately of growing up on a farm being like, I want to be involved in that. And that's something that I've seen shift a lot in the last seven or eight years since when we started. Um which is enterprises, right? I mean, you know, it, it's it's a, a great industry. We've talked about high commodity prices. We've talked about the value of agricultural land. We've talked about how, um, you know, a big part of Australia's future in terms of, you know, what we're producing as a nation is going to be reliant on agriculture, right? And the jobs available now and into the future in agriculture are not what they used to be, right? It, there's, there's enormous opportunity out there. Food and sustainability is becoming a, a huge, huge focus for the consumer and for the generations that are coming through. They want to be involved. They want to know where their food's coming from. They want to know that it's that it's produced in, a, in an ethically sustainable manner. Um, so all these factors are driving a different mindset and they're driving that generational shift. As I say, whether they're a family farming that's coming back or 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 no no connection previously. And that's super exciting, right? And and that's what we need to be successful. Because the last thing we want is only only farming minds in this game. You know, we need new insights, new experiences, fresh ideas, creativity to to kickstart us and and take the next step. And, And actually, that's a theory we've had in our own business, right? Of course, it's important to have People that know farming and know agriculture and know how to talk to customers and understand problems, but but we need we need you know creative minds and and fresh thinking from other industries to come and challenge the status quo, to challenge the norm, um, and that's what we're seeing across the whole industry, I believe. So that's that's the point around the generational shift. There is also a shift at the older generation. Um, you know, there's an appreciation. Some, sure, just say, look, it's not for me. Let's wait for you know the next generation or my, or my workers or whatever it is. But nonetheless, there's an appreciation for it. Rarely do you see someone say, I, there's no value in that. I don't believe in it, right? Um, it, you know, the bulk, the bulk of folk out there believe in it. They believe in innovation. They believe in, in technology, the opportunities that exist. A lot don't know how to get started or are overwhelmed by it. That That's a different topic. But I think from a cultural perspective across um, the Australian market, particularly when you start comparing it to other markets, we're right in the hotspot to, to be at the leading edge of all of this. And you know we just need to provide more education and awareness to, to drive adoption because the adoption is, is still too slow in my mind. And, and I don't mean that just from a, a software provider that would like more farmers to use our software. I mean, you know, we've got some serious macro problems that this industry faces, right? I mean, we've probably heard it to death, but we've got to feed, you know, an enormous growing population. We don't have much time to do it in. We've got to do it with, with less land and resources. And we've got to do it with a focus on sustainability and, and managing carbon emissions driven by, driven by lots of things, but, but um, consumer demand being one of it. So we've got huge problems out there. And what we're currently doing is not going to get us there, right? So we've got to make some pretty significant macro changes to this. Um, and, you know, technology is a big component of that. It's not the only component, but it's a big component. Um, it's going it's to create, it's going to um, require a lot of collaboration, a lot of innovation, a lot of integration, and a lot of sharing, um, which is sometimes a struggle for this industry where, they like to be very closed doors and they think that if they're going to share any insights with their neighbor their neighboring farmer they're giving away a competitive edge and we need to remove those barriers um, and we need to we need to drive the the digital future of agriculture in order to solve for some of these macro problems and actually set ourselves up for a very successful um, future
0: yeah, yeah it's interesting that you yeah that the what you mentioned there about um being in competition with our neighbours because I've never actually seen it that way. Um, even though we all grow the same crops, we're all running cattle where at the end of the day, um, generally what's good for him is also good for me, just given how weather dependent we are. And I, I tend to actually view that, you know, that our global export competitors is is more my competitor than my neighbour. But um, it's an interesting point you make about uh, the need to both maximise profitability and sustainability and also production that comes with that profitability because and we're seeing that play out now at the global stage um, we've got both massive climate driven events we've, we've had the fires in Australia now we've had the floods and at the same time we're also seeing global uh, food insecurity just through the uh, the wars going on in Europe at the moment and the uh, the droughts throughout the us and uh, South America, uh, so it's a real. It's it's not even a trade off that's got to be made. It, there's there's just got to be a massive amount of work done to try and maximise um, solutions at both ends. And I guess we see a lot about what can be done to boost productivity on farm, but what can be done to uh, to boost sustainability and and even just track and measure some of those sustainability
1: goals. A good question, good topping. And, and the first thing is, you know, sustainability has been thrown out a lot recently. And, you know, the connotation that sustainability only means sustainability from an environmental or carbon perspective. And actually, sustainability is, is, is all the sum of all things, right? We need to have, you know, a profitable business to be sustainable when it needs to be environmentally friendly to be sustainable. It needs to be you know, socially sustainable in terms of the people and the and the generational shift. So we need to think about it holistically because often it just gets it just gets pulled in the direction of, oh, well, if you talk about sustainability, you must be talking about carbon, right? So that's the first point. The second point is actually the thing about carbon, whether it becomes, you know, this huge revenue opportunity or not, right? Is is, you know, we can debate that. Um, that is ultimately a byproduct of running a sustainable business. That is a byproduct of having best practice um, techniques and, and farming practices in a livestock business that will lead to that. So if you are running a sustainable, um, again, whether you want to use the words regenerative agriculture or not, but let's just call it a sustainable business where you want to hand, be a good custodian of that land and you want to hand that on to, in a better shape than, than what you took it on, which the bulk of the farmers out there want to do and are actively trying to do that. Um, and you take on some of these best practices around managing pastures and managing your animals um, and looking after the land and looking after your, your soils, the byproduct will be opportunities, one of which being carbon. But the first and, and the, the first and foremost, and the priority in this is having a more productive business, right? And so if you do those practices, you'll have a more productive business. You'll be more profitable ultimately you'd be more sustainable. And guess what? There's probably a carbon opportunity at the other end for you on that. Um, now, of course, you've got to be smart. You've got to set yourself up for success in all of that. Um, but that's, you know, I, I always always kind of try and start with that to be like, let's not, let's not get too far down the path of, of the carbon sustainability piece. Let's focus on how we make the livestock business, the farming business sustainable, taking into account all those factors. We do that right, we do that in a clever way. We work with with the right people and providers out there. And we're going to set ourselves up for a potential carbon opportunity um, is, is the way I see that.
0: And how much of an opportunity do you see in carbon at the moment?
1: Well, I think, you know, I think that the opportunity is real. I said before we can debate whether it's real or not. I, I think it's real. Um, you know, we've seen what can happen in, in market dynamics and the price of carbon when, you have politicians make certain politicians make certain statements, and and markets can can react poorly to that. But at the end of the day, you know what we have is you know we have a we have a crisis on our hands um, when it comes to to greenhouse emissions, and you know there's a push across the globe to be able to combat that, and market dynamics will drive certain behaviours to you know drive revenues to get. To get that on track, right, um, and and it's happening, right. It, it is genuinely happening, and and the conversation then becomes, you know, are we out to sell carbon credits to an organisation that just wants to offset, so they're just buying their way out of it, right? Is is one one road of opportunity, or do we want to actually be part of the solution? Do we do we actually want to be pulling carbon out of the air? Um, and do we actually then want to wrap value around that? Um, so, you know, those sorts of examples are do we want to start producing a product that is carbon neutral? Do we want to do, do we believe that there's an opportunity for the consumer to say, you know what, I do want to buy carbon neutral beef or carbon neutral lamb? Um, and, you know, I'm not going to judge folk on, on whatever route they take or multiple routes. The, I guess the question is do I think the opportunities there? Absolutely, I think the opportunity is there. The consumers driving it and demanding it, even though that there's still going to be a big commodity play. You know, the the savvy consumer is is wanting to know and wanting to to, to purchase um, product that that has some carbon neutrality towards that, which has impacts and opportunities down that supply chain for folk to deliver a value-added product like that um, to get paid for the work they're doing in a supply chain. And there's also an opportunity for, you know, for for carbon offsets and, and abatement, um, and you know we're seeing it we're seeing it all across the world, um, and you know if those if those revenue opportunities can offset and drive more sustainable production, you know you think about if you reduce your stocking rate and reduce the number of animals on your land, but you're getting paid more for that, it's better for the land, it's better for the animals. It's better for the environment. Well, everyone's winning, right? And if you now think about those animals as what we talked about a while ago in terms of are those animals high-performing animals, then now we're really talking. Because if you think about, you know, the the herd, the national herd in Australia or the global herd, think about how many animals that exist in that population that are underperforming. They don't put on weight. They're not fertile, you know, all all of these critical traits. We need to remove them from our system because they are bad actors. They are just emitting, right? And they are consuming and they're not adding enough value to our supply chain and, and our existence. Um, and, and their challenges we can solve pretty easily, right? I mean, we start removing removing those, um, those bad actors from our supply chain and we are on the road to, um, to, to having significant impact. The other opportunity is, is really around the, the carbon sequestration, right? I mean you know there's this theory out there <clears throat> um, through you know mis- misinformation and poor education that that a grazing cow is you know the worst actor in, in in carbon emissions right but actually that's not that's not true if you've got a if you've got a good grazing practice and a, and a good grazing business right that cow is actually a, a carbon sequester right They are putting more carbon back into the soil through grazing the grass right? And allowing that to regrow then actually that that animal's emitting so we've actually got an opportunity to be a carbon sequester function um, in these grazing operations uh, and and that's just you know the 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 uh population is just not aware of that they just think well cows are all all bad emitters um and that's not true so there's there's opportunities everywhere you look in this um and in ultimately it just gets back to the core of, of where we started this topic around sustainability and if we are if we are taking steps to run the sustainable grazing uh, operations we have worlds of opportunity you know and to summarize that it's carbon sequestration opportunities it's increasing raw um productivity and profitability out of your business it is opportunity to value add in in a product in a branded product that will have value in a supply chain um that, that consumers will want to participate in and we see that, you know, as that moves through the supply chain as well.
0: So, John, how do you think we're positioned as an industry to um, to measure, record and evaluate that sustainability uh, factor? Is is there being enough done?
1: Yeah, good question in terms of, you know, how, how we're positioned. Um, you know, I think it's clear the opportunity is there. Um, in terms of how we're positioned, I, th- I think it's a, a classic case of... Um, you know, we, we don't need to reinvent the wheel in terms of what we need to do to provide, I guess, the data to, to prove what we're doing, right? Now, That there are some complexities which we can talk about, but if we look at it from an aggregate perspective, everything that, that's being recorded from a day-to-day perspective, right, to run your business, mob movements, um, you know, pasture availability, feed on offer, stocking rates, rotations, you um, you know animal health weights you know all the performance information that that you're already recording to run your business Um, soil information fertilizer application sprays all all the stuff that you're recording in agrib software from a day-to-day business it's the same data that is required to deliver upon some of these other needs so whether we're making uh sustainability claims from a from a value added product right whether it's whether we're saying it's carbon neutral or pasture certified or hormone free or organic or the whole list that exists now and that that will come in the future it's the same ultimately the same sorts of data that you're collecting to run your business anyway we just now need to deliver that and so the way we've always set this up is use this information, record this information to run your business. And then you know what we'll be able to repurpose that to deal with anything that comes down the path, whether that be a carrot or a stick or however you want to look at that. So if you've got audit and compliance requirements, we're here for you. It's all here ready for you. And we save hours of, of, of your time when the auditor drives down the driveway. And you know the vision of that is to be remote audits, right? Cloud-based audits. So people aren't driving down driveways and wasting a lot of energy. If you're looking to make certi- certified claims, that data can flow through the supply chain, right? And that can be shared, and value can come back, uh, c- can come back from that. Um, if you're trying to, uh, you know, fend off food and and um, health and safety risks, you know, we're, we're recording all of that information, biosecurity, etc. So the first and first thing to think about is. Uh, well, well let's let's set ourselves up for success for the current business we're doing. And the beautiful thing about about digitization and collecting data in a digital format is that it can be available and repurposed. Provided, of course, you know you choose a supplier that's that's equipped to deal with that. Otherwise, you know, if it's just going to sit in a spreadsheet, you're still going to have to do the hard yards to get that out. So in terms of are we equipped to deal with it? Absolutely. I mean, the solutions that are out there, to help you now and, and into the future. Um, do we have the other infrastructure around in order for us to, to kind of deliver on upon that? Look, there's still gaps, right? I mean, I mean, there's always going to be gaps, but but a big gap right now is is really still around um, the education of of the farming community of taking that next step and being like, right, I've put my hand up. I'm interested. I see there's opportunity out there. How can I get involved in that? Um, and I think that that's a big barrier. I think that's a big barrier of taking that step and like, hey, I've always been a good farmer, right? How am I going to get paid for that now? Either through any of these options we've talked about. So I, th- I think that that's um, a barrier and opportunity in terms of you know, what's being done about that. I think, um, you know, I've, I've spoken about this for years. You know, what's, what's industry's role in all of this? What's government funding's role in all of this? Um, and it's interesting to see some of the things that I've been saying. Of course, it's not because I've been saying it, but you can see the trend happening is, is, you know, the role of these groups is to not go and develop software or go and develop tools themselves. They've tried that in the past. And of course, it's failed and we've wasted enormous amounts of dollars, whether it be taxpayer dollars or levy funded dollars, right? Through, through you know, the the groups such as MLAs and RDCs and the like. The role of those groups is to deliver education and awareness and enablement, right, for farmers and, and service providers and vendors to do their jobs and, and do what they're good at. Um, and we're starting to see that, right? We're starting to see, you know, big focuses and goals around education and awareness. We're starting to see funding available um, to bring down barriers to help um, subsidise or, or purchase digital solutions or ag tech or or other forms of technology to take that first step. And it's not, to to be clear, the issues, it's not just about, hey, can I get some money to buy some software or to to buy some remote water monitoring? There's a gap around education and services to help with change management, right? Because at the end of the day, we're dealing with people. People don't like change, right? That's just a fact. And so we are driving a lot of change into our community. And people aren't, aren't equipped to deal with change management, right? I mean, you know, the farming community is a jack of all trades. We're very good at a lot of things. Um, But, you know, we see this all the time in our business. One of the biggest challenges we have when people say, what's the biggest challenge? Often the challenge is not, I want to get involved or or I've purchased some software. It's actually changing your behavior from either writing it down in a notebook or spreadsheet to actually using AgriWeb software and, and running their business out of, a, out of an app on their mobile phone, or even then going back to make some decisions through the data to, to then move your business forward. So that change management is a very important piece. And I don't think we're, we're necessarily set up from an infrastructure perspective to deal with that. Um, and you know, that's as simple as adopting some you know some software right up to how are we gonna activate a carbon plan Right. So that, so that there's an opportunity for us in the future.
0: Yeah. And I think that is what one of the big, um, you know, things that hinder uptake of new technologies is probably not, not enough of the focus on the financial benefits that they will get from that, that change, you know, that, as you mentioned, that, that increase of in, inefficiency, you, you know, what's performing, what isn't and actually been able to benchmark yourself. It's um, yeah, as you mentioned with the EID tags in sheep, a lot of discussion around that at the moment as people view that as a big cost. But, I mean, I've, I've got a, a system on my crush um, that, you know, every beast that runs into that crush, it reads its ear tag, it's instantly weighed. I know which cattle are, are gaining weight and which ones aren't. And uh, we had the, um, we're in a situation there Oh, a little while ago where we were you know we had some cattle that weren't quite at the right weight for the um, the market that we wanted them to be at we did have feed in front of us but because we' were instantly able to see that daily weight gain there in the yards well we just knew that they weren't performing on that native pasture so we bushed them anyway there's no point holding on to on the cattle that weren't going to gain weight and make money um, exactly. and that is that's just some of the some of the benefits that you can really get from this technology?
1: no, a hundred percent. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the point around the pushback of folks saying, Oh, you know, the the ear tag in a, in a, in a sheep is just a cost. I mean, what's the value of a ewe? What's the value of a lamb these days? Right. I mean, the, the, the return on investments is rapid when you think about the decision you just made crush side, right. Because you're able to analyze that animal, on the data that was in front of you rather than rather than looking at it and is it shiny and you know what do we think about it's it's rump and all this sorts all these sorts of things, right? And you've made an instant decision and that decision is has either saved you money or made you money, right? Or both. Um, and we're just not we're just not there yet. The mindset's not there. Um, and it needs to change like very fast, in my opinion. The other thing that I hear, you know, on a daily basis, is, um, you know, we talk about these value-added programs, right, and, and what's required behind the scenes of that. You know, you're, you're required to show animal welfare. You're required to show animal health. You're required to show what you're doing on farm. And this is not around taking the keys away from your kingdom and allowing you to make those decisions, Martin, as you're sitting crush side or however you want to run your business. And this is, you know, right now it might, we might be talking about value add and say, hey, if you do these things, if you join a scheme, you could earn a few more dollars here or there. It will become a point pretty fast. Um, I hear it every single day from uh, from people in the industry where it won't be it won't be the value add It'll be the norm, and you 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 will have to do these things. And if you don't do these things, you won't have a market. Like it's over, right? Um, and that's coming. That is coming thick and fast. And again, we shouldn't be thinking about that as the world's against us and the industry's against us and you know, this stick's coming down to beat us. We should be thinking about this as an opportunity uh, because all of these practices of what we're talking about is not only what the consumer's wanting, which is the customer at the end of the day, right? That's, that's who's buying the product. But actually what it's doing is driving sustainability. It's driving best practice animal health and welfare. It's doing all the things that when farmers sit back at the end of the day, they want to happen. Right? So all we're doing is getting some data behind it. And actually in doing so, you're going to be able to make those better decisions. You're going to be able to make those crush side decisions. So it's all intertwined in, in the one piece. Um, And so that's just the, the change in attitude we need to see. And we need to see more rapid adoption. I mean, it, it, it's coming faster than I think what people appreciate. Uh, and, you know, we're also seeing a lot of corporatization and, and all of those types of, of trends as well. Um, and so, you know, ultimately it's time to, to kind of get off the easy street and, and start running these operations like a business. I mean, every other industry sector out there has to do it. Why should agriculture be any different? Why should we be arrogant enough to sit back and be like, well, we've done it this way forever. Why, why should we have to change? Um, it's not good enough to be honest.
0: No, that's it. And look, as you said, I, I think market access is really going to um, drive a lot of change, regardless of what industry you're in. I keep coming back to grains, but that is, that is more of my background. Um, yep. And, you know, we're, we're seeing pressure from the EU through the I double, uh, sorry, the IS double C certification scheme. And, um, you know, it's at the moment it's just in canola and sort of in barley, but it will be across everything. And uh, there are gonna, there's gonna have to be some some big changes on farms to more in the record keeping probably than anything, but also some physical changes to make sure we keep those markets open. And I'm fairly conscious we've taken up a fair bit of your time yeah, today, yeah. But um, just one last wonder before we go: How do you? Do you see Australia in the world market? As you said, you've got offices in the US, the UK. I think from your website, you also do a bit in South Africa. Where do we stand? Are we a leader? Are we in the middle? Is everyone about the same? Or, um, yeah, where are we yeah. at?
1: No, I mean, we're definitely... Everyone's definitely not the same. Um, I would say from a... If we look at a compliance side of things, reg- regulatory and compliance side... In the three core markets we operate which is the UK Australia or call it you know Australia New Zealand and and the US or, or North America um, the UK and Europe lead the way um, which may not be a surprise I mean there's been some major impacts in those markets um, hand foot and mouth and and you know mad cow which which has you know basically decimated the, the population and and those um, industries over over the history and they took steps to combat that, right? That's when the traceability schemes came in. That's when requirements, you know, the the requirements over there around when an animal hits the ground, you need to record that within, you know, the first 30 days that that animal exists, that hits a a government database. Um, The requirements around data collection and reporting are really, really strict and really, really high around that traceability and food security and, and risk, right? So everyone, that's just what you have to do. And actually, if you don't do it, you don't get your farm subsidies. So, so the interesting dynamic there is uh, not only is it just a, a stick from a compliance perspective, but there's a there's a financial outcome to doing that. So they are leading the way now. That there's another there's a whole another podcast on on what happens when those farm subsidies go go away. So that's a whole another topic. We won't go there. So they are leading the field from a compliance perspective. The US. Is on the other end of the spectrum. They don't have an analyzed system like we do in Australia. They don't have those sorts of requirements. Um, every every state ultimately kind of has its own own view on things. Um, it's a huge country, and you know it's it's very diverse. It's you know there's nine hundred thousand head of cattle in this country. Ninety um, percent of 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 sorry, there's nine hundred thousand ranches. In this country, in in the United States, and ninety percent of them have a herd of forty or less, right? So think about that. Think about eight hundred thousand ranches here have thirty or forty head of cattle, right? And when you think about you know the amount of animals that that, that are, are slaughtered through a supply chain, it's, it's quite amazing with that fragmentation that that the system even works, right? Um, so. You know, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say it's the wild west, but there's 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 not the level of regulatory infrastructure in place that we see in in the UK and Europe and Australia smack bang in the middle, right? And and that's where we sit. Where look, we have we have schemes, we have compliance, and we have value added programs, um, but it's still it's still there's still more work to be done and and more opportunity. I would I would say, in terms of where did where do we sit in terms of across the globe around how are we thinking about things and how are we positioned? I mean, you know, we're a huge export market across all commodities, we, we know that. Um, we are also a value-add, high-quality product, right? So not only are we delivering a high-quality product, we are viewed and seen as a high-quality product. And if we look at the beef industry, you know, we have a, a higher a high volume of, of grass-fed and grass-finished animals. Um, and that has a connotation that, you know, there's there's... A higher level of animal welfare behind that. Um, we have a lot of compliance uh, or value add schemes, and you know there's there's a lot of competitive tension in these other markets around the imports that are coming from Australia. So we're exceptionally well positioned to to continue that because we already have a leg up. Um, I would say if we don't if we don't continue to to act quickly and continue to innovate that that will that will soon be eroded you look at the the population of, of cattle in south america in brazil alone there's 200 head 200 million head of cattle in brazil right now they are already starting to value add they're already starting to access these these international markets um, and you know they're, they're doing it quickly right so so we need to we need to be a step ahead and a step in front and the opportunities that sit in front of us get back to sustainability, potentially carbon, all those, all those areas where we can lead the global pack in all of this, because we do have the infrastructure to deal with that, right? We are, we have the level of of organizational structures to be able to deliver that. When you, you know, I just gave the example across the US, it's highly fragmented um, and and less collaborative than than in Australia. Um, so so we're still very well positioned. Um, but there's some big players knocking on the door and it, it, it means there's even more urgency uh, to, to get moving on that. And I guess that's what it all comes back to in
0: the end. You know, if we if we want the top price for our product, we need to continue to have a premium product and need to have the data behind it to demonstrate that it is a premium product. Otherwise, you just end up in the bulk commodity game and no one makes any money there.
1: But no, it's been... Yeah, we don't. And just just the final point on that, right? We we know that there's slim margins in the commodity game, right? And and you know, there's this view as well. I, I heard this today, which I think is interesting. So whether whether your listeners think this is interesting, in uh, in the U.S. at least, right? Um, no one's making any money out of out of a commodity beef product, and the view is that the retailer must be making all the money, right? The rancher or the farmer's not making any money. The pack is complaining about their thin margins, right? They've got to keep the chains going. So it must be the retailer. The retailer makes no money out of a beef product, right, in terms of the actual steak that gets sold off the supermarket shelf. The beef product in in supermarkets, in retailers, in this country at least, is what they call a basket filler. And on average, if someone buys a beef product, they will buy 17 other products to supplement that product. So you've gone in, you've bought a steak and you've gone, right, I'm going to treat myself. So you're in there getting mustards and vegetables and roasts and the whole the whole works. And on average, it, it's 17 more items. So this is a sort of mentality that's going on, right, in this supply chain, right, it, is, is really around, um, you know, all the data is available for, for these guys to, to maximize how they're running their business. And can we say the same for at the start of the supply chain? right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. You know, we we need to digitize this part of the supply chain. And if we can then show an end-to-end digital solution across the supply chain, the opportunity is is enormous in front of us. And and the final thing I'll say is, you know, Agrib started out as as a focus on, call it the family farm, but we now have have offerings um, both at the corporate farm level. So the very large corporates that, that exist in Australia and across the world that have hundreds of thousands of animals and and, um, many, many farms. But we also have what we call have an enterprise solution. So this here is where we have tools for supply chain innovators. They might be a meat processor. They might have a branded product. They might be a co-op. And this is where we now have an end-to-end supply chain solution where we can take data all the way from genetics, all the way into processing and carcass data. And that individual animal that we've talked about and the data that gets behind that animal, we can now track that as it goes through its various stages and through various farms. So it might come out of a, out of a, um, a growing property, it might then go into background, it might then go into finishing. We're tracking the data the whole way through, right? So that animal that you bought from your vendor comes with data. You put some weight on it, you're maybe you're backgrounding, you then send it off to a finisher, it finishes and it goes into processing. And then all of that can be shared across there, genetics. If we want to do that into carcass and everything in between, what that then means is the producer along the ways seeing how they can produce a better product. The supply chain is seeing how they can be more efficient, how they can drive better procurement process, and actually value add and give carcass data back to say, guys, we need a better product. This is what the customer is paying for. This is how you can deliver a better product. And that same data set can then be used to show provenance, can be used to show traceability um, on, the, on the retail side. And surprise, surprise, that same data can be used to drive sustainability and carbon opportunities, right? Carbon emissions in that supply chain and reducing that. Um, the genetics company can now see if their genetics are actually delivering. And I'm not just talking in, in hypotheticals here. One of our customers in the UK, um, one of the biggest meat processors over there, our uh, Agrib is the backbone of this integrated supply chain, so a branded beef product that ends up on the supermarket shelf. Every single animal across hundreds of farms is, is delivered through the Agrib software, uh, and this data is solving all of those needs. Genetics, optimising the supply chain, showing provenance, making the farmers more productive and efficient, um, and I'll throw in one more little piece there which becomes very interesting as well as there's an agribank financier coming into this supply chain that can o- offer a lower cost of funding to those farmers that are bringing those animals in on their farm um, because they are receiving data on where the animals are, the average daily live life weight gain um, and, and simple livestock reconciliation of, of purchases and deaths. So all of a sudden now, if you think about the data, the data set, I keep saying data and data because I've got to keep going back and forth from Australia to, to, to the US. Um, that, that same piece of data around that animal has now multiple uses um, and multiple value adds. So if I could leave that with, with you and the reader base to think about when you're, when you're performing a digital record on an animal, the opportunity that exists behind that piece of data is, is enormous. And, and actually, not only is it solving for your business and your needs right now crush side when you make that decision of do you cull or do you keep, but that same piece of, of data could really set you up for you know, enormous amounts of future opportunity. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, So just finally, I guess, if
0: fellas want to learn more about AgriWeb and what it has to offer to them and their businesses,
1: where do they go? What do they do? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, just head to www.agrebb.com and that's uh, b, So two Bs on that. Um, and uh, and look, you know, interact with some content. Um, the best way is, you know, start a trial. There's a 14-day free trial. Get yourself in the thick of it um, and you'll be sure someone from our team will, will be in touch and, um, and see if it's going to be the right fit for you to, to move your business forward. No, that's brilliant. Um, I'll
0: make sure I link to it in the description below. Well, thanks for your time today, John. It's been great.
1: That'd be great. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me on and, uh, and and look forward to another opportunity.
0: No worries. Thanks again for John for coming on today's show. It's great to do one of these interviews again. And also, thanks to our listeners for listening through to the end. I hope you took something out of it too. I know I certainly did. I've just downloaded AgriWeb myself, kicked off their 14 day trial and I'll be seeing how I can get it to improve my own farming system, get me out of the Excel spreadsheet and into something a bit more user friendly. So if you like today's show and got something out of it as well, please give us a review, like us, rate us. I think you can even rate podcasts now on Spotify. So if you could do that, it'd be brilliant. And don't forget to share it with a mate that might get something out of it as well it really means a lot. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram at In The Paddock and on YouTube at In The Paddock Podcast. So until next time, keep at it.